All right, everybody, welcome to BO Boys for Monday, February 14th. Fuck it, it's a raw feed. We're doing it live. I'm Clayton. Yeah, I'm Pat, and happy Valentine's Day, everybody. Happy Valentine's Day, and let's let's get to this top five because we got a lot, a lot to talk about, so I feel like we should do a plow. Yeah, V-Day plow, huge, huge show today. We got the plow of this past weekend and two huge movies opening this week. Big, big show. So uh, V-Day plow, let's do it. Number one. Death on the Nile made $12.8 million in its debut weekend. Number two, Jackass Forever made $8 million, down 65%, added 49 theaters. It's at $37.4 million in its second weekend. Another newbie at number three, Marry Me made $8 million in its first weekend. And number four, Spider-Man No Way Home, $7.1 million, down 25%, lost 300 theaters. It is now standing at $759 million in its ninth frame. And number five, Blacklight, $3.6 million in its debut weekend. That is your top five. Yeah, I mean, and I'm going to throw this out there too. This is the big question of this weekend. Looking at these returns on Marry Me, is Love Dead at the box office? Has Love permanently moved, and this kills me to say it, but has Love moved permanently to streaming services? I mean, it's possible. I mean, before we get into that, I do need to pat myself on the back here because mm-hmm. I pretty much nailed this Sands number five, which was Blacklight, which was in line with the Liam Neeson films that came out during the heavy pandemic times. I, and I think you as well, assumed that this would do a little bit less than that because of the competition, but... It seems like Liam Neeson has a uh, steady group of people mm-hmm. that come out no matter what. So he's got some diehards, but they seem to top out at around $3.6, $3.8 million. Yeah. I mean, his two other movies the last few years were Honest Thief and Marksman. Both came out height of the pandemic when, you know, as deadlines, uh, Anthony D'Alessandro states here, a majority of movie theaters were closed around the country. Everything in New York and L.A. was closed down. And his movies still made $4 million for Honest Thief, $3.1 for Marksman, and Blacklight at three point six this weekend is right in that range. So it, it really shows his fans, the Liam Neeson fans, they are the exact same people, and they pretty much were all going to movies during the pandemic, even when most theaters were closed. I think it also shows Liam Neeson's hardcore fan base is not really in New York or LA because the same amount of people bought tickets to his movies when New York and LA theaters are not open as bought them this weekend. So he is, Liam Neeson is clearly a draw in the heartland, in the stacks, to the plain billies, to the earth dogs. And that, that is where he's going to keep cashing his check. 
I think the thing with Liam Neeson's vehicles moving forward is it's going to take something really spectacular and -hmm. something that has a really catchy premise in order to get the non-hardcore Neeson heads out to see a Liam Neeson film. And I don't think that's I don't think that's something that couldn't happen Mm -hmm. because he is reliable. He opens movies at a certain level and people like him in that action genre. So what what needs to happen is just something that has a concept that's more than he is an ex FBI agent or whatever Blacklight ended up being. Right, right. Yeah, I mean, the thing with Liam Neeson is he's got that hardcore fan base that will see him in anything, that will see him in any pandemic circumstance. So that's a plus, for sure, when you have a star who who draws even in the height of the pandemic. And he's very famous. At this point, he's been a staple of, of, of the movie since the 90s. And he could still bring it in these action movies, but... Yeah, he needs to have something with a little, you know, like something with a plus one to to take it to the next level where it gets back to those taken level grosses. Yeah. And then just quickly too, something that I also nailed was the Moonfall fall of 71%. I said it would drop 70. I was one percentage point off. But we were both correct. Oh, no, I think you actually said that Moonfall was going to be the in the top five. And I don't remember. I mean, I no, no, no. I definitely didn't have Moonfall in the top five. Oh, you know what? I did because I didn't have Blacklight in the top five. So I probably did have Moonfall at number five. Um, I but mean, this, Sing this... beat it. Even Sing 2 in its wow. eighth weekend beat Moonfall. Yeah, I mean, it is... We talked a lot, you know, go back to last week's episode to talk about how it's clear that that the idea of space has been devalued in, in our current climate. You know, space has a bad rap. People just don't like the idea of space, and that hurt Moonfall. And I, I think after that disastrous opening weekend, Lionsgate just completely gave up on this film. You know, and Lionsgate is not at the level, of course, of a Disney or a Universal where they have all of these channels to keep promoting their movie. And I think once Lionsgate saw that opening weekend, there was really no more promotion going on for Moonfall. It, mm-hmm. it was it was just left out there to fend for itself in space. You know, Moonfall was out there just screaming in, in the vastness of space. Where... No one can hear you. Yes. Scream. Yes. 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 But to get back to your initial question that yes. you posited About at the love. beginning of this podcast. Mm-hmm. Is love dead or has it moved to streaming? What's the difference? Yeah. You know what I mean? Because like streaming to me feels like death. Once something moves over to streaming, it is something to put on while you're scrolling through TikTok while mm-hmm. you're vacuuming your apartment while mm-hmm. you're cooking your blue apron that mm-hmm. is th- mm-hmm. if that is where rom-coms are living that is death to yeah. me at least yeah. now here's the thing with marry me day and date peacock mm-hmm. now we're not the streamo boys huh no 
No. We get forced into streamo territory by the realities of the business, but we are the BO boys. Yes. So Peacock is one of the main streaming providers. So I think the main streaming provider for the Winter Olympics. Yes. It's the first time where you could watch the Olympics without having uh, television in the sense that if you are just a person who subscribes to Peacock and you get it without having a cable subscription or even a, a satellite to get you NBC, you could watch all of the Olympics on Peacock. A cord cutter as they are yes. referred yes. to. Yes. A cord cutter could still watch speed skating because of Peacock. Now, there is some rumblings, and we have no mm-hmm. numbers, obviously. We have no mm-hmm. numbers from, what is that company that does, does the- Samba.tv. Samba.tv. Yeah, we haven't gotten a Samba.tv update on the, the Olympics on Peacock. Because we're, we'll, we'll we're recording on big, big game day. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, before the big game. So we don't know the results of the big game. At the moment of this recording. So don't ask us. Don't ask us. Mm -hmm. But there is some thought that a lot of people watch this film on Peacock because there was a big subscriber bump because of the Winter Olympics. Mm -hmm. And Peacock is going to stream the the big game. I almost did it. I almost almost did it. it. Almost almost did it. it. But it is the big game. Fuck it, it's a raw feed. Yeah. He didn't do it, though. He didn't I did do not, it. I did not game. do it. I certainly did yeah. not do it. So there is thought, a thought process that this movie could have done really well on Peacock. Mm-hmm. And also, Monday is Valentine's Day. So the assumption is there's going to be a big turnout, hopefully, for this film on Monday, which doesn't reflect in the opening weekend, but still. Now, you and your mm. lovely wife... Yes. Watched this on Peacock. We watched it on we watched it on on Peacock on a Saturday night. Did not see it in the movie theater. Um, there is a chance we would have seen this movie in the movie theater had it not been on Peacock, or we may not have seen it at all. But but we may have gone to see it in the theater. And this is just the type of movie that is so hard to pass up when you're just flipping through your streamings options and it's just sitting right there, mm-hmm. you know, and, and when you know, you know, especially a family like ours, myself and my wife, we're a family that has a box office at the box office expert myself in, in, in the household. And so we know that marry me is already not doing well as of the time we're about to watch it. Mm-hmm. And we know then that the choice is, do we watch this comfortably in our couch, a new couch, you know, very comfortable couch, or do we go to the local theater that probably is going to be fairly empty and maybe a little sad because I know what the box office is already looking like at that point. You know, so it, it's it's not just a matter of do I watch it at home or do I watch it at the theater. It's do I watch it at home or do I partake in the the underwhelming opening weekend? And that makes the choice. That's It's only going to, you know, everything just pushes you more and more towards just watching it at home. And if that I, had I not think, been an option, 
this may have done better. I think that's such a great point that you touched on with something like Marry Me or romantic films in general. Mm -hmm. If you take your significant other to a failing film, Mm -hmm. it opens up a lot of questions about the relationship. Is this person a good decision maker? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Does this person have taste? Does this person know what's a failure and what's not a failure? And so right. it starts these simmering issues that probably were already there. Right. It's always already there. It's always already there, but you don't have the cover of a packed theater right? where you can just say, I know we have issues, but right now there's so many people around us, we have to put up appearances that this is going well. Right. And, and if you a- walk into that opening weekend of Marry Me in a, you know, one quarter filled uh, uh, screening room, it's only going to make your relationship worse. It just shines a light on everything that's been going wrong since the, the day you got together. Let's be yeah, honest. Yeah, they're all laid bare. Yeah. And people go to see rom-coms. You know, there's, there's the... Uh, Groups of, of, of women who go together the way guys all went together to go see Blacklight. You know, that's that's one big audience for rom-coms. But, of course, couples are the big ones. And these rom-coms, in some ways, are supposed to be an aphrodisiac. You know, you go see your, your uh, You've Got Mail in the 90s, huge hit, everyone's loving it. You walk out, you go home, you do a little something-something, you know. The magic happens, as 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 it were, because it was such a great experience at the theater. But if you go see "Marry Me" and it's empty because everyone's watching and it's set on Peacock, it's the opposite of an aphrodisiac. You know, you're walking home in silence, and you're probably, I don't know, going to going to separate rooms. Maybe maybe someone's going to bed, and someone's like, oh, "I'm just going to go pass out on the couch," and that's mm-hmm. where you end up. Because the experience was so sad. And, you know, all of that, all of that plays into, is this the type of movie, these rom-coms, are they going to be theatrically viable anymore? I mean, this is Jennifer Lopez, who, you know, is a huge star, you know, uh, forever famous type star. She's a huge celebrity. There's a difference here. And And I want to make this distinction. She has had a lot of hits, and this is her genre, but in she's past. not. In the past. Well, I'm just, just he, she's not Julia Roberts, Meg Ryan level of all time rom-com superstar, but she yes. has had her wedding planners and uh, made a Manhattan. And, you know, second act is the closest one she's had. And I've seen a lot of people say, well, maybe this will leg out like second act because second act in 2018, opened to six and a half million opening weekend, which is actually lower than Marry Me, and legged out to 40 million. It did but, six times. Six time. Yeah. yeah. That, that's a huge multiplier. Multiplier. But aside from pre pandemic, post pandemic, different worlds, that was over Christmas when things could have these crazy leg outs. And. I mean, with Marry Me, I don't think this is going to happen. I don't think that 
there's better days ahead. And I don't think Monday on Valentine's Day is necessarily going to be some kind of big uptick because it's a Monday. You know, it's 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 not a you know, people are going to go out. Couples are going to go out. But to me, it really was Friday and Saturday night for a lot of couples. That was the Valentine's Day celebration. Mm -hmm. And then Monday is. You know, uh, you stop by CVS and you and you get a box of chocolates, and you, and you you grab some f- flowers out of the front lawn or the front lawn of a neighbor, and you know that's Valentine's Day because it's a or, Monday you, and you yeah. forgot it was Valentine's Day. Or you offer a foot rub while they're already right. kind of half asleep. Right, right, right. The the big gifts of this weekend and the big outings. For Valentine's Day, I do think happened last night. I do think yeah. Saturday night was the night. I I don't think Monday is going to be, uh, some kind of huge Valentine's Day jump for Marry Me. Also, because I don't th- the fact that it was on streaming, I do think that the couples who were inclined to want to see it at all, they will have seen it already by Monday. Mm-hmm. It's a five dollar ticket. Because yeah. to get the premium Peacock, all you got to do is spend five bucks. So it's a $5 ticket for two people, and you can watch the Olympics if you want to. Right, right, right. So and the l- big game. And the big game. And the big game. So let's look at the yeah. demos here for mm-hmm. Marry Me to help illuminate some of the issues here. The core moviegoers, this is according to Deadline, of course, core moviegoers of 18 to 34 were 47% of ticket buyers. Mm -hmm. 46% were over 35. Mm -hmm. Now, over 25 was 72%, with 26% over 45. So this movie skewed older than movies have been skewing the last year. Mm -hmm. But it shows, I mean, that's the thing, though, is like, 72% of $8 million ain't much. Right. But it showed this is who was interested in it. It wasn't the audience that even made something like Scream have a big opening weekend. They were not very interested in Marry Me. Yeah. And then diversity demos, Caucasian 53%, and then Latino and Hispanic 30%, 8% black, 5% Asian, so the Hispanic and Latino markets in the West and Southwest over-indexed. That's mm-hmm. where nine of the top ten theaters were. That makes sense because J-Lo is an icon. I mean, she's a global icon, but she's definitely a, an icon in that community, definitely. Mm-hmm. 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 Now, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Th- this age thing, it, it, I think it just kind of goes to show what I said earlier is that I don't think young people have an interest in her. I yeah, just don't, I mean... I, I, I don't see... She's not... Like you said, she's not a forever star like Julia Roberts, or well, like Sandra Bullock. I think Bullock. she never... I think at the box office, she hasn't hit those heights. I do think at this point, she's a forever star in that J-Lo will be a major celebrity until the day she passes many years in the future. She's a celebrity. She absolutely is a celebrity, but I'm not going to say she's a star because at the box office, she's like Kate Hudson. She's Kate Hudson. Who's kept up her social media. 
you know and, what will be and interesting Dave's with more J-Lo? popular people. That's that's who J Lo is because when you look at someone like Kate Hudson had that huge group of big rom coms, and she's never been able to do anything close to it ever again. Mm-hmm. Now, yeah, well, J Lo had Hustlers. That is so, an outlier and, in a filmography that has been underperforming and stale for decades. Here, here's what I think we could maybe take from Hustlers is that because that didn't come out that long ago. It was still September 2019. 2019. Huge hit. And I think what this shows is that J-Lo could still be a draw in a certain type of movie, but that type of movie is not the genre that she's famous for. It's not rom-coms. Mm-hmm. It has to be J-Lo being a big attraction in something splashier and maybe more serious. And because I think the rom-com genre is just one that this generation has passed up on. They don't want rom-coms. You know, the rom-coms are something they watch on Netflix to some degree. I mean, it's not like any of these Netflix rom-coms have become Pretty Woman. Um, And I I think it's a genre they're not interested in. So I do think J-Lo could still be a box office draw in the right movie, but it's not going to be a marry me type of movie. And again, especially if it's also day and date on a streamer. Yeah. And now Anthony Uh. D'Alessandro brings up a good point about what is going to bring women back to the theater Mm -hmm. and it's this catch-22 where movie companies don't want to make films that they don't think are going to make money at the theater Mm -hmm. so they don't make them and then there seems to be people saying why can't you make things for me but then they don't go out to see things that are made for them. So it's this weird kind of, there needs to be, he mentions Bridesmaids as an example, just something that's an undeniable film that everybody mm-hmm. wants to see and it's talked about. Now, again, right. Bridesmaid is is doubly a movie they don't make anymore, which is a big budget comedy and right. a female skewing uh, comedy. Right. So it's one of those things where somebody's going to have to make a big swing and just believe in a creative team enough that they put something out in the theater and it hits. Because there's been plenty of genres that have circulated in and out of popularity, the Western being an example of that, right? Where right. when Unforgiven came out, I know this is a long time ago, but in the 90s, that and Dances with Wolves, those movies, Westerns had not been popular at all. And those mm-hmm. movies came out and were huge hits. And that was just, I mean, it's a different time and a different studio system. But it seems like there's no reason to put a big swing out there that will fail when you can just put it on a streamer and hope it adds subscribers. And I think that's what? the big issue that we're dealing with. Things are just being sacrificed to the streamers for the hopes of the this point of subscriptions that is going to make a... A, uh, a streaming service close to Netflix or gaining can, can on I, Netflix, it seems so, like screaming into the void. So, I mean, I think the movie that is 
going to be the big test for 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 that genre for the romantic comedy and for the female skewing movie is Lost City next month, the end of March, with Sandra Bullock, Brad Pitt, and the guy who we're going to be talking about in a movie coming out this weekend, Channing Tatum. Mm-hmm. That, to me, feels like the big swing. We saw this trailer before Jackass Forever last week when we went to go see in the theater, Yeah, and the trailer was great. I mean, it was really funny. It's a great premise. It's about... Uh, uh, Sandra Bullock as a romance author who gets into a real adventure. It's basically an updating of Romancing the Stone, which mm-hmm. is a huge hit in the 80s. And it's, to me, that's the big swing. That's the one that, and I, I feel like for us, this show is really going to be covering the lead up to that movie and, and the fallout from that movie. Yeah. Because that is a important movie. To me, that is more important than the Batman. Yes. Coming because out you know a few the weeks Batman's before. gonna succeed. There's no doubt yes. about it. It's just to what yes. level. We're not we're not trying to answer the question of are superhero movies gonna be able to exist at the box office. Batman the Batman will come out, and of course we're gonna make a huge deal on it because it's anything we do on our show is a huge deal. But it's not gonna be a movie that answers a major question for the future of movies, but the lost city is that type of movie. You know, uh, I, I think the lost city has a lot riding on its shoulder. So th- that may answer a lot of the questions that people are asking right now after this marry me opening weekend. So anything else on marry me? No, I think this, I think this drops pretty precipitously next week. Yeah. Next weekend. Yeah. I mean, here's something, because we haven't even talked about the number one movie of the weekend, and something to throw out in terms of why Marry Me failed is that Death on the Nile, the number one movie, made $12.8 million. That's also sort of a date movie. You know, like, we didn't really think about it in that terms, but Death on the Nile is a... Uh, a movie that's not rated R. I think it's PG-13. It's got big stars in it. You know, it's got Gal Gadot. It's got Kenneth Branagh. And it's not a romantic movie, but it's a type of movie that a certain type of couple is going to go see on a date. You know, Mm -hmm. Death on the Nile is a great date movie, especially for married couples. Well, that seems to be what the demos are saying because males 51 percent females 49 percent so mm-hmm. not 50 50 but pretty close 77 percent over 25 47 percent over 35 and 28 percent mm-hmm. over 45 so this is akin to murder on the orient express and how mm-hmm. it was older skewing so again this probably ate up some of the marketplace that would have been going to see marry me yeah i mean definitely it's when you look at january's box office and the fact that basically between scream coming out uh five cream scream five coming out in the middle of january and then jackass forever coming out last friday with moonfall there were really no big movies january was the holdovers from december and then Scream, and then Jackass and Moonfall. One of these movies, Death on the Nile or Marry Me, should have come out 
a few weeks earlier. You know, mm-hmm. uh, right now with the the fact that fewer people are going to the movies than they used to a few years ago because of all the different factors, you just cannot open these competing movies on the same Friday. You know, Death on the Nile and Marry Me for sure split an audience where I think if one of them had come out a different week, the other one would have done several million dollars more in business. You know, people were making that choice, especially that you look at the demos, it's older people for both of these, much older skewing than we've, we've seen for most movies this year. And if Marry Me didn't come out this weekend, Death on the Nile may have done closer to 20, may have done 16, 17 million. You know, if Death on the Nile didn't come out, if Marry Me came out in, a, in an environment in which it wasn't day and date on streaming and Death on the Nile wasn't out the same weekend, it could have done closer to 14 million or so. You know, it's just you can't put these these big movies that are aimed at the same audience out on the same Friday. It's just not that world right now. My call would have been put death out earlier. I mean, Marry yes. Me it works well. I mean, to situate it where they did, they did their best. Universal mm-hmm. did their best to try and get this out there as counter-programming to the big game and mm-hmm. Valentine's Day. I think that was the perfect storm of elements in order to put this out yeah as well as the omicron seeming to have peaked and now going down Mm -hmm. this was a perfect time to put out marry me and it just like day and date did affect it but i don't think this would have gone that much higher i I, in general i really don't I, i don't i don't see even if it there's not enough people that have Peacock, even with the talk of the big game in the Olympics, to 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 make this a $14 million movie, in my mind. I don't know. I just don't think. I mean, if it was unopposed, and uh, not again, not to be the Streamo boys, it does just blow me away that they did this day and date on the opening weekend when you were already going to have a huge bump for the Olympics and for the big game. To me, the smarter move is the Olympics final ceremony is what? Next Friday? And at the end of the ceremony, you have Bob Costas or or whoever it is, Katie Couric or Matt Lauer. I don't know. I, I don't watch the Olympics. But whoever it is that is anchoring NBC and Peacock's coverage of the Olympics, you give them the, the torch and you say in one week right here on Peacock, Marry Me is going to be streaming. And that's how you do it. You give people a hook to stay. To me, Marry Me being thrown day and date on Peacock the same time that the Olympics is already airing, that the big game is already airing, it's just overkill. They could have got a bigger opening weekend. Again, I agree the the rom-com genre at the theater is a tough sell, but the, the day and date streaming, and yeah... Death on the Nile almost felt like a missile aimed at Marry Me that it came out this weekend. It's just it's very strange. Well, just a really quick thing about Marry Me again and the Peacock mm-hmm. situation is that Peacock lost a lot of money uh, last quarter. I guess this is this is all from October and November 
Peacock losing over $8 a month on each of its 21.5 million subscribers. Mm-hmm. Comcast reveals Peacock lost $520 million this past quarter. So it's it's throwing everything it can on Peacock to try to get some sort of money going, some sort of subscriber. So it does make sense to me that they did this. Yeah, I think I think it's just as as much of a hook because you're going to get so many people like you said who maybe sign up for Peacock just to watch the Olympics. And then what you need to do is give them a reason to stay. So, but so Death on the Nile opening weekend 12.8 million number 1. It basically did Right around the projections, I think. Did you mm-hmm. pretty much nail this? I came in a little lower. I thought this would maybe get down to like 10 or 11. And you had it around 13 or 14. So it yeah. pretty much was where you had it. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, um, I think the thing is, is that this is a genre that is a little bit reemerging. The whodunit. Mm-hmm. Obviously, not as big as uh, a, a, the second Knives Out movie will be, but who knows? Because I know that's going to be theaters and Netflix, but we'll see how that actually ends up rolling out. But the the Who Done It is making a bit of a comeback, so I can see this. And the you know the first one was a sturdy movie that people liked, older mm-hmm. people liked, and like we said last episode, older people are not entrenched in the internet wars so mm-hmm. you know it is the fact that maybe some of these actors couldn't promote on fallon and things but you know i think this is a decent turnout for this film now it's not going to be as profitable as the first one but no not a even number close. one movie for uh, for a sequel that was pushed back so much and and felt like it was being left for dead. This 12.8 is good for this film. Yeah. I mean, and it's the first movie murder on the Orient express in 2017 is just such an overperformer. People were not expecting that to be the hit. It was, it ended up at 102 million. And, and just to show how popular it was the third weekend of murder on the Orient express in 2017 made $13.1 million. So the third weekend made more than the first weekend of Death on the Nile. And that was a drop of only 5%. The movie made 13.8 in its second weekend. So that was just a really well-liked movie that came out at the right time. It came out in November. So this movie, the first movie made a ton of money around Thanksgiving. And it just was something that caught on in a way that this was never going to because, you know, A, it just, the first movie was was sort of a perfect storm of when it came out, and B, this movie had a couple of stars who were in, for different reasons, were not going to be able to promote the movie. The first one came out when everybody was trying to find the perfect movie to take all age groups to. Yes, Right, because I think yes. didn't we see we uh, we saw it in Connecticut. Yes, we saw this with with uh, with uh, my my in laws. Mm-hmm. You know, which is the exact example we saw it over Thanksgiving when we're looking for a movie that would be completely inoffensive, and 
easy to get through with people of different ages and different beliefs. And of course, murder is always more appropriate than sex. So, yep, yep. Murder if on it was the sex Orient on Express. the Orient Express, we wouldn't have seen it then. No, we would not have seen it. Um, I don't think this movie really says much for anyone's star power. I mean, I think you know Gal Gadot was was the big star of of Death on the Nile, and I think it just shows again that she's one of those people who is a star in the role of Wonder Woman, but is not really a star in movies that are not that. You know, she's she's basically one of the Chris's. Mm-hmm. You know, you, you put her in the DC movies. People love that she's playing that part. And that she's a, uh, something that makes those movies work more than they normally would. But... I don't think just putting Gal Gadot in a action movie or drama is really going to draw people out in a big way. Though this did make twelve point eight, so it didn't make nothing. You know, mm-hmm. this, this movie opened okay. For I don't also, think you can hang that all at her door, though. No, no, but she's the biggest star in this cast. Like the first Murder on the Orient Express did have more stars in it. You know, and this one is her and Army Hammer, who basically then doesn't really exist as a draw for this movie. So it really is she's the, the this her and the IP are why you're going. The the expectation for Army Hammer at the time that he was signed on to this film is that he would be leveling up. Yes, yes, and that did not happen for various reasons. Uh, one of which just you know. I don't think his he did any good movies. Well, he hasn't been in a movie in a while because, you know, uh, of 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 his situation. Did he have but, anything after Call Me By Your Name, which really became his calling card? I mean, nothing that I remember. The Man From U.N.C.L.E. came out a long time ago, right? Way before, way, way before. Um, I don't think so. I think it pretty much was he has been... Uh, a, a scandal-ridden persona for a few years now. He was in Sorry to Bother You. Call me, yeah, after calling Me By Your Name, Sorry to Bother You, the On the Basis of Sex, uh, which was what, the Ruth Bader Ginsburg movie. Oh, yeah. yeah a no lot of saw. small movies. He was in that Rebecca uh, uh, Netflix movie, the, the Hitchcock remake. And then this, yeah, he's kind of, I think he, I think he's been just pretty much un, unusable for uh, not long after Call Me By Your Name and Sorry to Bother You came out. So I think he's pretty much done. But yeah, I agree when he was signed up for this, he probably was looked at as the co-draw of Death on the Nile. And obviously that's not the case. But that's the thing is you take chances on some of these guys and some of these gals and they don't always pay off mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so does this does this end what uh uh i think when murder on the orient express hit so big and then they went into making death on the nile it was clearly a could this be a ip franchise play does this uh opening for death on the nile pretty much kill that off is the series dead at two 
I think so, just because uh, also for the reason of this is a 20th century Fox or a 20th uh, century studios mm-hmm. film. Disney does not know what it's doing with these 20th century films. So where this would land, even if they did another movie, if Brenna got the chance to do another movie, is this on Hulu? Right. Is this right. on Disney Plus? But right. in an adult section that they've always kind of said they were going to maybe start? Yeah. I, we don't know. So if this does not have a no-brainer streaming destination, then it's dead. Yeah, I, I I agree. If there's another one of these Kenneth Branagh, Agatha Christie adaptations, it's going to be as a six-episode series on Disney Plus or Hulu. Mm-hmm. It's not going to be as a, as a theatrically released movie. Because that's the thing with these streamers is it's all about time with your mm-hmm. eyes on a screen. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And if the difference between a two and a half hour death on the Nile or a, like you said, five or six hour series, they're going to go series. Yeah, because we're in yeah. an eyes an eyes marketplace now. It's 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 an eyes driven industry. Yeah, and and using that as a quick plug, if you are want to be a boy, want to be a girl, want to be a person, person who has not yet listened to our bonus episode from this past Friday where we talked with MoviePass version 2.0 CEO Stacy Spikes. We had an interview with him and a post-interview analysis. It's a must-listen because one of the things that we talk about is that MoviePass is moving hard towards the iEconomy uh, uh, business model Mm-hmm. In that there's going to be eye scanning technology that makes sure you're watching the ads, and through that you could get Movie Pass bucks on the Movie Pass marketplace. It's fascinating. Listen to that episode with Stacy Spikes of Movie Pass version 2.0. You know, so and and, and and I know that's that. I don't want to get too much into it, but my thought, and we're not the Streamo boys, but no. if that technology was ever co-opted by these streamers. Mm-hmm. You would see some of their content viewership plummet, because, mm-hmm. like I've said before, these t- the reason TV is so popular is because people don't need to watch it. In order to understand a movie, you need to be paying attention. In order to watch a TV series, you need to pay attention to it minimally, and mm-hmm. that's why it's so popular because people are not paying attention throughout something. And Although, so if they adopted that, you would see some of these big streaming series tank in the amount of viewership. Although I think they would never release numbers that would negatively uh, put their shows in a negative light. But what I could see them using that technology for is the way MoviePass is, which is as a way of gaining credits. You know, so yes. Netflix may put one of their maybe less popular shows on the Netflix marketplace. And if you watch that show, if you watch, you know, let's say Emily in Paris season three isn't doing very well and they make a they make an announcement this weekend, if you watch Emily in Paris season three, you'll gain credits that could help you 
continue your Netflix subscription and they use the eye tracking technology so that they know you're watching it. It's a way of these subscription services, these streamers building eyeball viewership for their properties. And in return, the viewer gets to watch more of that streamer and watch stuff that they really want to watch. You yeah, know, or and, they and get it all comes down to tall girl two NFT. Right, right. Because it all comes down to these streamers just want to have data that shows people are subscribing and people are watching their stuff so that then Wall Street gives them more uh, uh, seed money. So that that's really, I could see the eyeball scanning technology working that way for the streamers. They're, they're getting people, they're paying them in NFTs, in maybe credits to watch their stuff because that's all they want. They just want to say, Look at all the eyeballs we got, Wall Street. Pay yeah. us for these eyeballs. So we'll see. Yeah. But yeah, Death on the Nile, that's an eyeball situation. I think if it comes back, it'll be a six-hour stream series. It's not going to be a third movie. Now, before we move to this coming weekend, which we have uh, two big movies. Huge just movies. Just a few quick hits here. At number mm-hmm. eight, Scream or Five Cream or Scream Five. $2.8 million, down 40%. It lost 608 theaters, but it is at 73.1 in its fifth wow. frame. So we already have Scream 6 mm-hmm. announced. It's happening. So that is good. Mm-hmm. 75, if this if this ends up at 75, 77, I don't think it makes it to 80 I mean, 75, I think, is a slam doink because it's Mm -hmm. at 73 and it just had a weekend where it made 2.8. So I think it's for sure got a few more weekends of a million plus. So it's definitely going to hit 75. 80 is possible, but it's probably in the 75 to 80 range. If this gets to 80, I mean, this is a bigger win than anyone would have predicted beforehand. Getting to I, 80 domestic on a horror movie that definitely had a lower budget than the sequels had had previously. Th- this is a big, big win for Scream. I think what they should do to try to get this to 80 is this is where you do the re-release with extra bonus footage. Mm-hmm, with mm-hmm. deleted scenes, with something special to get the hardcore gore hounds, horror heads, mm-hmm. ghost face lovers out there. That's what you need to do. That's where you add that extra stuff or release a black and white cut. Make it black yep. and white. Yep. It worked for uh, Nightmare Alley. I mean, that really worked at the box office, but that black and white cut probably helped get at the best picture. Nom, nom, nom. So um, good good for you, Scream. The other one, just to, to uh, take a second here, is Licorice Pizza finally, after the Oscar nom, nom, noms came out, mm-hmm. went wider it's now at 1,977 theaters, which that means it added 1,191 theaters. Mm-hmm. It's It came in at number nine, made just under a million dollars, 922,000. That's plus 43%. Yeah. And it's now at 13.9 in its 12th weekend. So not a huge leap for this film. I mean- 
I the, think most of the people who've wanted to see this film have seen this film. I mean, I think in the end, we are going to all agree the rollout of Licorice Pizza was a mistake. It needed to have gone wide sooner. It's it's. I get platforming, and I get platforming with something like a PTA movie, a smaller art house movie. But this movie has been in movie theaters. It's been platforming since, what, uh, 12 weeks. So that's three months. So we're talking October? The end of October, Licorice Pizza first came out in limited release. It's They, they really missed all of the many times where this movie was being talked about, being written about. The reviews came out. It's I get that the Oscar nom nom noms just happened and it got the best picture nom nom nom, but the Oscars mean less than ever. And the the buzz around this movie should have been capitalized on earlier. They waited too long. Well, they were worried about Omicron. Sure, but that is we're that is what it is. And you can't hold a movie for three months and then expect all of that. You know, opening weekends and early buzz for a movie have always meant something. Mm-hmm. And you can't just just hand wave that away. It's not going to be there three months later. You know, well, things. pizza gets stale. And cold pizza is great. We all love next day pizza. But try eating a slice of pizza that's been sitting in your fridge for three months. That's too long. That's too long. Well, it had historic per screen averages when it came out in, what, four theaters or something. Mm -hmm. And you're right. They definitely should have parlayed that to a wide release immediately because it was good news in in the trades. And you should have parlayed that into more butts in the seats. And they didn't do it. Yeah. And and. and they were promoting the movie heavily those first few weeks. You know, they didn't capitalize on the fact that the the star of the movie, Alana Haim, was on The Tonight Show and doing the talk show rounds and, and all that in October and November. You, mm-hmm. you don't get that cycle again four months later. You know, there's a reason why the stars promote the movies in the week before and the week after opening weekend. Yep. And so maybe this, this does steady business for the next couple of weeks, but, and this was never going to be a huge hit. I mean, it's a PTA seventies movie and that was never going to make 40, $50 million, but it definitely right now it's at 13.9. And I think a better release strategy could have doubled this box office by now. Absolutely. So let's look forward to this coming well, one, weekend. One, just one last thing that we didn't touch on. So real quick, Jackass Forever was number two, made eight million. It's it's a drop of sixty five percent. So a huge drop, but that's to be expected. Ja- a Jackass movie always drops, but it's at thirty seven point four million dollars total. Mm-hmm. So that means. It made twenty three and a half last weekend, opening weekend. It made eight million this weekend. So that means in the weekends it's made thirty one million, but it made a little over six million dollars during the week. So people were going to see this on the weekdays, yes, in a pretty big way. And I think that's a great sign for this movie because I would bet you 
and I don't have these stats in front of me. We don't have the the demo breakdowns for who saw Jackass on a Tuesday, but I would venture those are the older Jackass fans who felt more comfortable seeing in theaters during the weekdays than they did on opening weekend. Mm-hmm. That's my guess. Yeah, and we we went and saw this on a Tuesday. Yep. We went and saw it, and in the theater with us mm-hmm. to start mm-hmm. were me and you, mm-hmm. a gentleman around our age, I'm assuming, maybe a little bit younger. Yes. Two elderly women. Mm-hmm. And three youngsters. Yes. And I'm saying youngsters in the sense of they are probably in high school. Yes. And yes. at Teens. most early college. It's kind of hard to tell now at this age because like 26-year-olds look like babies. Right, right. But, but I, I do, do believe they were probably were high school or early college age. Mm-hmm. And by mm, 20 minutes into this movie, it was me, you, and that other guy. Yep. And that doesn't affect the box office because they paid for their tickets. But one of the things we talked about after this film was that this did really well with young people. Mm -hmm. But I do think there is a level of young person that is not used to the kind of brutality that they're seeing in this film. Now, it's weird because the Internet seems to be a purveyor of this type of stuff and worse Mm -hmm. than this. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But the people who actually seek that out might be a very low minority, and the mainstream young adult might not be as into genital mutilation right, as right. we are right. as older people who grew up with Jackass and lived through the early 2000s and the late 90s. Right. You know? I think so- the, the, the current younger audience especially when you when you see them behave on the internet they're into mental mutilation and, yes. and torture but they're not into the gory self mutilation that you get in the hilarious pranks and stunts of jackass now this movie is doing well so we're not saying this audience is rejecting the movie i mean i think jackass forever at 37 million after its second weekend it's probably a movie that I think it's going to hit 50 when all things are said and done. I do think mm-hmm. there's $13 million left in this movie. That is a big success because this movie, the budget was around $10 million. They spent some good money advertising, but this is going to be a very profitable theatrical run for Jackass Forever. But, I yeah, I do think the, the younger audience of today compared to the younger audience of the 90s and early 2000s, they're a little bit less into physical mutilation and they're a little bit more into mental manipulation. So maybe the Jackass crew incorporates a more mental manipulation into the next film and tones down the ball sack uh, mutilation that this movie focused on. Well, we'll see. I I don't want them to ever change, but... Oh, me neither. Me neither. This was a perfect, I mean, we're not a uh, critical body. We don't review movies, but we both love Jackass Forever. It was everything we wanted. It was not a step down from the previous movies. That This movie really works. 
Oh yeah, we were pissing ourselves. It was yeah. It, it was it was in line with the other films, definitely. Yeah, yeah. So <clears> now <throat> let's look ahead. Let's look ahead. So I'm gonna throw out. Let's start off with, I think the mo the most interesting opening weekend we have had in a while, uh, the opening weekend of Uncharted, starring Tom Holland and Mark Wahlberg. This movie is a adaptation, which I didn't realize when I first saw the first trailer a few months ago, but it's an adaptation of a popular video game series. Mm-hmm. And to me, Uncharted is going to be a fascinating uh, movie to see what it does because I think this means a lot for both of these stars. I think this is a real critical point for both Tom Holland and Mark Wahlberg, they, you know, Tom Holland doesn't need this movie to hit in the sense that he could play Spider-Man for the next 10 years, but he kind of needs this movie to hit to show that he is anything other than Spider-Man. And Mark Wahlberg needs this movie to hit, I think to kind of save his big screen career. Yeah. Yeah. This is a big one. This reminds me a little bit of, you know, obviously Leonardo DiCaprio is a forever star. He Mm -hmm. was a, looked at as a genuine actor before Titanic came out. Mm -hmm. Because he had done What's Eating Gilbert Grape and got nominated for that film. But The Man in the Iron Mask was a film that came out and was on the box office charts at the same time as Titanic. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And so you're seeing Tom Holland competing with himself Mm -hmm. in the box office, which is a rare thing to happen. Mm -hmm. And if you're looking at Tom Holland's BO history, other than the... yeah, Spider-Man, Spider-Man movies. Marvel movies. Oh, it's it's not. It's pathetic. It's pathetic. It's pathetic. Now it's... he none of these films really are starring roles that we're looking at because mm-hmm. if we're starting with, I mean, he had a part in in Lost City of Z, which barely came out, so we're not going to count that in 2017. I think mm-hmm. you have to really look at. Sp- Spies in Disguise, which was an animated voice. That was yeah, him that, and Will Smith. I mean, to be fair, he hasn't had a live-action movie that's not a Marvel movie that has really been a theatrical release. You know, he's had all the Marvel movies. He was in stuff like The Impossible in 2012 as a, a kid. He was in, like you said, The Voice of Spies in Disguise. He's acts in Doolittle with Robert Downey Jr., but none of these are here is Tom Holland above the title. Those movies are more the streaming movies he did. He did Devil All the Time. He did Cherry. Both both of those were dramatic plays that people hated. You know, that's the other thing is when he's in a non-Spider-Man live action movie, people just don't like these movies. Well, Chaos Walking is probably yep. the only thing we can look at here that yep. is comp-ish because it's a mm-hmm. two-hander with Daisy Ridley, another person mm-hmm. who really hasn't had 
success outside of Star Wars, but mm-hmm. there's no real spot right. for her, it doesn't seem like. Mm-hmm. Chaos Walking opened March 5th, 2021. And its domestic was uh, total domestic was thirteen point mm-hmm. two. This was a big, uh, big bomb. Yeah, yeah. And and March twenty twenty one, it's a odd time to judge the box office because that is pretty much the first month when people were really getting vaccinated, mm-hmm. and it's the. Month where theaters were really opening in a big way in the sense that New York and LA, I think, didn't open until March, maybe early April. But yeah. you did have something like Godzilla versus Kong that opened huge. You know, that was a movie that restarted the box office, had the 40 plus million dollar opening weekend. So Chaos Walking making 13.2 total is not just because, and you had, you had, um, nobody with Bob Odenkirk. That actually opened in double digits, had a, a good run, got over thirty million. So Cherry, I'm sorry, Chaos Walking at thirteen point two, that's a failure. That's not just because of the pandemic. Yeah, opened you know, at three point seven. Yeah. That is a lack of interest. And I, I think the thing with Tom Holland that's key is the non Spider Man movies, the run he did of Devil All the Time, Cherry, Chaos Walking are just movies people did not like. And even on even as streamers, where there's no uh, uh, real accountability with, with, with numbers, Cherry and Devil all the time were flops. They were streaming flops in the sense that they were so poorly reviewed. So he does need Uncharted to be a hit because he's got to have something that people point to. That's not him as Spider-Man. And it's hard to say he needs this when he's the star of a movie that's about to pass avatar on the domestic all time total, but he kind of does. Yeah. It's like a 1 million. It's, it's, it's $1 million, I think away at this point. So it's inevitability. That's, that's going to be bigger than avatar. Mm -hmm. So, this is, I do think, like like we've been saying, this is going to be the first true test. Mm-hmm. And going back to The Man in the Iron Mask, this is a movie that opened to 17.2. Now, that's in 1998, obviously. Right. But there was some residual, we love Titanic so much. Mm-hmm. We love Leo so much. We're going to see this movie. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Now... I don't know if it's a similar it's it's entirely similar because Tom Holland is not the heartthrob that Leo was. No. And, and it might not be the heartthrob thing, but do people root for him? He's dating Zendaya. People love that mm-hmm. relationship. Is mm-hmm. this the stan culture being like he's dating Zendaya, we love Zendaya? We want him to be successful because we want them to stay together. But she's not in this movie. She's Mark not Wahlberg in this movie, is. but it's it's the kind of internet standing culture of we are invested in their relationship and we want success for both of them. And his success is her success. Yeah. Is there a level of fans and stands that come out to this movie just purely to help their relationship because listen she's on an upward trajectory and this guy's got spider-man which is great but 
the consensus, I believe, is that she's going to do better things than him because she's an actual actress. Right, right. She's in Dune, nominated for Best Picture. She's going to have a bigger part in the second one. Like she, she has got real adult potential in a way that we don't know if Tom Holland has. I mean, and with the Spider-Man movie he was just in, it's so much different than Leo and Titanic because Leo and Titanic, it was a two-hander or a three-hander if you want to throw the boat in there. It's Leo is the main draw. Then Kate Winslow is a co-star and and the boat. But Mm -hmm. the fans of that movie who saw it a hundred times were specifically in love with Leo. To them, Jack was Leo. Leo was Jack. They're the same guy. The fans of Spider-Man, they love Spider-Man. And in this new movie, the thing that everyone was really talking about was Andrew Garfield's Spider-Man. Yes, you're right. Of the Spider-Men in uh, uh, Spider-Man No Way Home, Tom Holland's Spider-Man was second at best and maybe third, because I I do think the the nostalgia factor for Tobey Maguire was a big draw, but he was definitely not the number one Spider-Man in his own Spider-Man movie. Mm -hmm. And so it's a huge hit. It's the biggest hit we've had in years, biggest hit since Endgame, but... When you're the third Spider-Man in your own Spider-Man movie, how is that really going to translate to you opening another movie, especially a non-Spider-Man, non-Zendaya movie? I, I, we, he hasn't had this kind of test yet, so I don't want to write him off. And if there's ever a time to try with Tom Holland, it's it's right now. Um, but I am not willing to bet that. He's got the same heat coming off of his Spider-Man movie that Leo did coming off of Titanic. Mm-hmm. You know, Leo was not the number three heartthrob coming out of Titanic. He wasn't battling Billy Zane to, you know, for the hearts and minds of the Titanic viewers. You know, he he was the guy. He was the Spider-Man of Titanic. Yeah, I think the other thing you have to look at with this is that it's based on a video game. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of talk about how video game movies don't do well. They never succeed. And I think that tide is turning because like any sort of media that oh, is that's over newish because mm-hmm. video games, I mean, comic books had been around since the 20s or 30s. Right. Wherever you want to say actual comic books started. Right. Mm-hmm. And it took until the. 70s to even have some something like Superman, the late mm-hmm. 80s to have Batman, and then 2008 to really have the omnipresence. So right, that's a right. long time. So video games are relatively new in the stream of history. So you also are seeing out of the top five films that are based on video games, you have... Detective Pikachu that came out in 2019. You have Sonic mm-hmm. the Hedgehog, which came out in 2020. Yeah. That's sequel that coming out this year. Mm-hmm. You had a very successful Mortal Kombat movie that mm-hmm. did well in theaters and did Bafa Streamo on HBO Max. So I think we're seeing that the the stigma for video game movies is no longer a thing. Right. And you had stuff that wasn't based on a video game, but was 
uh, uh, based on the world of video games, like the Dwayne Johnson, Kevin Hart, Jumanji movies, which are giant hits. And you had Free Guy last summer, Wreck-It Ralph, and Free Guy just last summer was in the world of video games. And you have the generation now that young people now are like third generation video game players. So I, I, I think that video games don't work at the theater. That's done. You know, video games are maybe not, they're definitely not at the level of IP as comic books, but they are for sure workable IP. Um, now, this is a two-hand globetrotting adventurer right. with Tom Holland, who we've mentioned, who hasn't had really a challenge yet. This will be his first challenge. Mark mm-hmm. Wahlberg. Now, you have mm-hmm. his box office history up, correct? Yeah. So, so Mark Wahlberg is such a fascinating star because he really had, you know, he, he was someone who's been around for a while and he's, he's been a star for a long time. You know, he's been a star since the late nineties after Boogie Nights, but he has this run in the 2010s, I would say, you know, he has the, the happening Max Payne, lovely bones in 2007, eight. And that, that kind of blows the the uh the uptick that he had after the departed in 2006 so after departed is a huge hit he gets the oscar nom 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 he has a little bit of a bad run but then 2010 other guys with will ferrell makes 120 million he's a star of the fighter which ends up at 93 million as a boxing drama that's a huge hit you know stuff like contraband in 2012 makes 66 million uh, domestic. Then he has Ted in 2012 is a monster hit. 218 domestic, 550 worldwide. You know, and then he has some smaller movies, Pain and Gain, which is a classic, should have been up for Best Picture for Michael Bay, Michael Bay's opus. You know, but even that makes 50 million at the domestic box office. And then I think the run really ramps up. He has Lone Survivor in December of 2013. 125 domestic for this action war movie. He gets in on the Transformers franchise. Mm. Those are huge. And then I think we start to see the 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 dip because the gambler doesn't work. He's in the Entourage movie. That doesn't count. Ted 2 in 2015. That doesn't really work, though. It gets to, you know, that movie makes 80 million domestic and it's a talking bear comedy. So I think exactly it's a it's a flop in comparison to the first one. But 81 million for that premise is is a huge hit. And then he's kind of back on track with the classic daddy's home in 2015, makes 150 million. And. I think now what the issue becomes with Mark Wahlberg is, so he has Daddy's Home, huge hit. It's a comedy. So you think everything's still going well. But then the bottom kind of drops out for him on his dramas and action movies. Yes. You know, so those dramas and action movies like The Fighter and Contraband and Lone Survivor that were huge hits, that gives way to nothing really working in that genre. Deep Water Horizon in 2016 Kind of a disappointment, only making 60 domestic. Patriots Day in 2016 is a huge flop. Ends up at 31 million domestic, and that seemed like a slam doink. 
he has a Transformers movie. He has a Daddy's Home 2, which in 2017 makes $100 million. And then that is it. You know, all the money in the world, huge flop in 2017. Mile 22, huge, oh, flop, huge flop in 2018. Instant Family does well, $67 million. But again, that's Mark Wahlberg doing well in the family comedy zone. You know, it's not him doing well in what his bread and butter was, you know, dramas and action movies. Spencer Confidential is a Netflix movie. Um, he has Joe Bell, which is a non-starter at the box office. So I think the and then, place well, Infinity that... is a film that oh Infinite yes Infinite that's that is I think something that is really mm-hmm. it obviously didn't come out in theaters, but that was a Paramount Plus original yes. or dropped on there, and that got awful reviews. Yes. In pretty much dropped off the face of the planet, but only after besmirching what's left of his name when it comes to action. Yes. Yeah. You know, I, I, when I saw that on the list here and didn't see a box office, I just didn't even remember what it was, but that's right. That was a sci-fi movie that went to Paramount plus in June of 2021. So it's a movie that they decided to put on Paramount plus rather than put in the theater when the theaters were, looking pretty promising you know june mm-hmm. 2021 hot vac summer all that everyone was getting vax and wax and they didn't put it in theaters because they knew they had a turkey on their hands and i think with Wahlberg, he's in that zone of is he about to become just a guy who does the family comedies which may be it's listen there's far worse sentences in life to be sentenced to being the star of family comedies but is mark Wahlberg about to become tim allen well here's the thing he's a canny he's a canny guy Mm -hmm. and you got to remember this is a guy that was originally in new kids on the block and quit had Mm -hmm. his own solo hit as a rapper was a calvin klein model Mm-hmm. was looked at as a joke, mm-hmm. started doing small movies like Renaissance Man, he did Fear. Then he gets his break in a legitimate movie in Boogie Nights and parlays that into stardom. Mm-hmm. This is a guy that you can't count out. And oh, I think definitely not. The thing with this movie, Uncharted, mm-hmm. we saw, like you said, a preview, or maybe you didn't say it, but... We saw a preview of this before Jackass Forever, and this, whatever this trailer was, was much better than the first trailer because what it showed was this is going to be a two-hander, world globe-trotting, double, you know, double-crossing and and bouncing off Tom Holland type of fun movie. So this feels like it's a splitting the difference between his hardcore adult action films and his Mm -hmm. family comedies in the sense of Tom Holland looks like he's 16. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so he's dealing with a younger person the way he does in his family comedies, but he's also getting to do action, which is something Mm -hmm. that is his forte. So I think this is actually a good, this is a good decision. Now, do people want this? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That's the big question. Do people want this? And 
I'm not so sure because I think this was a a fraught development. This movie had some issues in its development, and I'm not sure exactly where, but I feel like this was rough coming to the screen. But so was Titanic. Well, that's true. Yes. Um, I think that's, I mean, that is the key question. Do people want this? And listen, we hope everything's a hit, but I, after we kind of set this up as Tom Holland is somehow in not a great place, which is obviously he's, he's Spider-Man and mm-hmm. Wahlberg's not in a great place because he has had a lot of drama and action movie bombs the last few years. But all that said, A, I really do hope this movie opens well because you, you this is an important one too. You need a movie like this that is not an IP movie or at least not a comic book movie, not a not a uh This uh, is an IP superhero. Movie, it is an IP movie. But it fe- the thing about Uncharted is it doesn't feel like an IP movie to, to most to people. Yeah. Yes. And to I would say to I would the mainstream public this just feels like this is a classic star-driven adventure action movie. In the way that even if you don't read comic books, you know a superhero movie because it's a guy in a cape with a mask on. But mm-hmm. when you see Uncharted, if you're not someone who's in video game culture, this just feels like non-IP classic Hollywood movie. And you right now you need that kind of movie to finally break out. We've just had so few of those break out in a big way that this is an important movie for the stars and for the whole existential crisis of can non-superhero movies be big budget theatrical releases? Now, so this, this is tracking at 20, 25 to 35, according okay. to Box Office Pro. Mm-hmm. What is your thought here? Are you going on the lower end or the higher end of this? Or do you think it breaks out? Do you think they're not taking into account some factor that will make this right. a $40 million opening? Yeah, I mean, next weekend is going to be, there is no football. The season will be over. I mean, I don't mm-hmm. know if the, is the Pro Bowl next weekend or did that happen already? But either way, already they, you know, so so there's no football. So you, you, you open up Sunday and you mentally open up Friday and Saturday for the football viewing audience to, to head out to the movie. So that's big. And it's a holiday weekend. It is President's Day that Monday which does make the Sunday into the feel of a Saturday. People will have off on that Monday, so that means Sunday evening. They'll go out in a way where they wouldn't if they had work the next day. So I think that helps the three-day, having Sunday be uh, uh, more of a going-out type of night. And, you know, I'm just going to go with the, the feeling that, yeah, Tom Holland... Even after all I said that he was the number three Spider-Man in his own Spider-Man movie, he's hot right now. He's got a fan base. He's got the young fan base. And Wahlberg being the number two is an interesting spot for him because he rarely is the other guy in these action movies. 
And so there's a little bit of a novelty of seeing Mark Wahlberg be the second build star. And so I'm leaning towards this does overperform and could get to high 30s. You know, Scream 5, 5 Cream, that got to 31 million. And I think Uncharted is a movie that could appeal to a much wider audience than Scream did. So I think this could hit 37, 38. Uh, I'm going high end on Uncharted. So I think we could both agree, Slam Doink, this is number one, unless it's a complete disaster a la Charlie's Angels. If this is that level of disaster, then Wahlberg is going to be, you know, relatively in trouble in the sense that obviously he's he's rich forever but i think uncharted opening in the teens puts Wahlberg in a spot where he really is a guy who's going to be just in family movies or streaming low budget action movies i'm i'm gonna go on the low end here and i'm gonna say 27 okay i have very little faith in this film it looks pretty generic to me Mm-hmm. I don't buy Tom Holland as a lead as anything other than a teenager. Mm-hmm. And I, I don't think it has anything really interesting that people haven't seen a million times before. So I'm going to go low on this. Yeah, it do, It doesn't. I wish it had a clear hook or a clear premise in the way like something like Jumanji did. You know, when those trailers for the the rock kevin hart jumanji movie came out and it had that clear premise of them being avatars in a video game rather than it just being they get sucked into the jungle you know which is what 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 uncharted is at that level you know where it's it's not a a a twist to the genre it just seems like it is the genre you know, it's, it's a, a globe trotting film, yeah, and we just don't. Right. I mean, there might be a twist, but it's they're not showing it in the previews. Right, right. And then you look at something that worked, that was an IP that worked big time was Free Guy, but Free Guy had a clear hook. And, and Ryan and, Reynolds. Yeah, but Ryan Reynolds, I think you know he works with either the character or the hook. You know, if you put Ryan Reynolds in the Tom Holland part in Uncharted. Is Ryan Reynolds making it that much bigger of a movie? I think you a know. touch, but maybe not uh, a right. huge amount difference. Right. You're like right. Th- this movie, Uncharted, really is an old fashioned star power movie where there's not necessarily a big premise, but you want to see these two guys hanging out, running around, arguing, getting together, fighting people, getting the treasure. I- I'm going to go out and just say that there is gonna be that appetite for it you know that that tom holland is gonna mean something and maybe i'll be proven wrong and hollywood will be proven wrong and then that'll be the end of that but i think coming off of spider-man if there was ever a time that this was gonna work it's gonna be right now now we're running a little bit long we got to talk about our next big movie dog Mm -hmm. which is Mm -hmm. channing tatum's kind of dipping his toe back into movies yeah. 
He's been a gone for a little while. Mm-hmm. Now, he directed this film. Yes, co-directed, I think. And he stars in it with mm-hmm. a dog. Mm-hmm. And we were trying to figure out what a good comp for this film was because there hasn't been a film similar to this in a pretty long time. This is the kind of canine Turner and Hooch sort of film you would see in the 80s and 90s. Right. Or Any Which Way But Loose, where Clint Eastwood's hanging out with a monkey. It's it's cop and animal. Chuck mm-hmm. Norris and Top Dog, that was a big one. Do you know that there was a sequel to the Jim Belushi canine movie that came out in 89? He made K911 in 1999. So Jim Belushi and the dog got back together in a way that Tom Hanks never did with Hooch. Yeah, and this feels like a genre that is close to Channing Tatum's heart. The ages kind of line up. He's around our age, so mm-hmm. he would have fondness for these sorts of movies. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I, I think it's interesting he chose this kind of genre to come back at, mm-hmm. uh, come back with. And so it's, uh, I I don't know really what to think about this film because it's a buddy road comedy with a dog. And dog movies have tended towards sentimental in the last 20 or so years, right? Yes. Marley and Me, A Dog's Journey. It seems yep. like this movie is, is actually I, it's it's a it's a buddy comedy with a dog, and that hasn't been happening in a while. Yeah, it's a real. I mean, it's a real throwback. You know, the 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 action comedy or buddy comedy dog partner movies are really a staple of the eighties, nineties, and then that was pretty much it. I I, I don't even really think in the two thousands there were many examples of animal and and and, uh, you know you have stuff like the dr doolittle movies or doolittle that came out a few years ago robert downey jr but that's a different genre you know this is firmly in the non-talking dog category where, where the dog is not animated at all the dog is a dog you know you're going to the movie to see a real life dog play a dog Mm mm-hmm and people love dogs and people love Channing Tatum. And well, do people love, I mean, the internet I, I loves Channing Tatum, but do people, do I, ticket buyers? I, I will say I'm looking at his box office run and I really do think the, the, the reason that Channing Tatum star waned has more to do with Channing Tatum kind of taken time off in an odd way. There's not a ton of big Channing Tatum failures. Like if we look at his run, you know, I would say, you know, he's in a bunch of, of movies uh, in the late 2000s. He has the step up movie in 2006, makes 65 million. He's in supporting parts and things like fighting and public enemies then he has the G.I. Joe movie in 2009 makes 150. Dear John in 2010 makes 80. So he is really steadily on the rise. Makes some smaller movies. He's in The Dilemma. He has Haywire, the Soderbergh movie. But then his real big run, 
2012, he has 21 jump street, makes 138 move, uh, 138 domestic. And then that same year, he has Magic Mike, makes 113 domestic. So we're like, all right, he's a megastar. 2013, he's in G.I. Joe Retaliation, makes 122. They kind of sell that movie as him being a, the lead of that, even though he's really not in the movie that much. They sort of oversell him. Mm-hmm. He has a White House down in... in 2013, which definitely underperforms, makes 73 million. It's the lesser performer of the, you know, hostage action movie in a White House uh, uh, category, loses to Olympus Has Fallen. And then he's in the Lego movie, giant hit. He has 22 Jump Street in 2014. That movie made 191 million domestic. Mm -hmm. That was an insane hit. And then you do look at his run the next few years. He's got this supporting part in Foxcatcher, which gets some Oscar buzz, doesn't get a nom nom nom. His big bomb really is Jupiter Ascending in 2015, which makes 47 million, huge bomb. And then he has Magic Mike XXL, which makes 66 domestic and 57 foreign. So that's a movie that underperforms compared to the first one, but sixty-six million for a male stripper comedy, domestically, that's a success. Mm-hmm. And then after that, he just doesn't play the lead in very many movies. He has a cameo in Hateful Eight. He has a cameo in Hail Caesar. Voice in the Lego Batman movie. Lucky Logan Lucky is sort of his shot at a trying to uh, to have a a a, a hit and now that's Soderbergh and that was intentionally a small move like Soderberg yeah that's a did some weird distribution model and he knew so the thing with Channing Tatum from 2014 on mm-hmm. is he started working with directors yeah. The Wachowskis, Jupiter Ascending. Mm-hmm. The, I think he just wanted to work with the Wachowskis. Yeah. Tarantino, Hateful Eight, the Coen yep. Brothers, Hail Caesar, Logan Lucky, Soderbergh. Now yep. Kingsman, he was in that one, 2017. That made a hundred million. That's the sequel. Yeah, yeah. and three hundred to uh, international. That movie made the Kingsman sequel made four hundred worldwide. So that's a hit. You know the thing with Channing Tatum's run. After the huge 2014 uh, year, is that he's just made smaller movies and cameos. He just he hasn't other than Jupiter Ascending, which, like you said, was a, a a shot at him working with the Wachowskis. He hasn't made bombs. I, my my take on Channing Tatum is he has not been rejected in any way by the audience. I do think they love Channing Tatum. He just hasn't yeah. given them the big shot to show that love, but the love is there because the love, I think the love never went away. Yeah. And I stepped away and I think people are are excited and embracing him. Now it seems like they're, they're excited for him to be back. This movie dog does not Mm -hmm. seem like a movie. He's expecting it to make a hundred million dollars. Obviously I think it's low budget. He's got friends involved with this. It's a throwback to a genre you haven't seen in a while. And this is uh, this is tracking at 5 to 10. 
Hmm. And oh, five to fifteen, actually. Mm-hmm. You know, the the famous box office pro long right. range, right? Big, thick range of what it could do. But you know, I think this does better than a cry macho. I don't think this will cry macho. Oh, I'm, for sure. I I could see this. I could see this movie making like twelve million. I could see that too. And you know where I could see if this really overperforms, I think the way it would is that you just have the Channing Tatum fans, you know, who are just mainstream audience that that have loved him in these big movies. And they go, but also does dog cross over to be a hit with the audience that has made some of those small indie religious movies hits. Now, Dog is not, as far as we know, in any way a religious movie. But, but there is, it's a military is, dog. This dog yep. is a military dog. Yep. This yep. dog is a patriot. Yep. Yep. And th- and this dog is a dog, you know, and dogs are... First and foremost, it's a dog. Right. Right. And I do think the religious movie audience... Yes, they're definitely going to love that the dog is a patriot, and they're going to like that it is just a dog movie, which means it's probably a family movie. It's a movie that a large group, possibly getting on a bus, possibly put together by a church group, can all go see together because it's going to be nice and sweet, and there's going to be a military dog. You don't think so? I don't think this is a church bus movie at all. No, I don't. Okay. Not a, maybe not a bus that's organized by the church, but if there's a bus near the church that's going in that direction anyway, people might come out of the church and get on that bus. But the the church didn't uh, uh, hire that bus. No, they're you know not talking I mean? about this on church in church hours. This is not on the books. No, no. But 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 in the coming out on the steps. I think you're more likely to hear people get out of church and say, have you heard about that dog movie where the dog is a patriot? Then have you heard about Uncharted? You know, and Uncharted is a much bigger movie, but I think dog is a type of movie that could play more to that audience, not just the church audience, but just the general family out in the stacks, out in, out in the plain Billy land you know, this movie could play to that audience because it's simple, it's sweet, it's family, it's a dog, dog's a patriot, Channing Tatum's a star who's been in movies that you've been watching on cable on repeat for the last 10 years. You know, I I, I, I don't want to lean towards just the rosy outlook for everything, but Dog definitely could overperform in its low expectations. Like you said, it yeah. could hit 12 or 13 if, if it all breaks right. So so let's let's wrap this up. We There's someone, uh, you know, um, outside my window, mm-hmm. I guess, shoveling the two uh, centimeters or millimeters of snow that we got. All right. So let's. Hour. So, so let's, let's wrap up so they can do that. So why don't you give me your your prediction first, your top five prediction for this week? I think uh, Uncharted number one. Got to be. It's got to be. I think Dog number two. Mm-hmm. I think 
I think, see, this is tough. You know, it's weird, but I think Spider-Man number three. Huh. Wow. So a huge drop for Death on the Nile. And I think Jackass. Oh, oh, sorry. I'm sorry. No, I'm wrong. I'm wrong there. Okay, sorry. Let me start that again. I'm distracted. Sure. Uncharted number one. Gotta be. Number two is Dog. Mm-hmm. Number three is Death on the Nile. Then I'm going to go Spider-Man, number four, and then I'm going to say Jackass Forever, number five. Yeah, I mean... I think Marry Me, uh, Tanks. I I don't want to... I don't see a different version of the top five, to be honest. I, I mm-hmm. think it's it's got to be Uncharted 1. It's got to... Well, it doesn't have to be Dog 2, but I think it will be Dog at number two. Yeah. And then Death on the Nile 3, Spider-Man 4. I feel like those are all slam doings. And then it's what has the bigger drop, Jackass Forever or Marry Me. I'll say Marry Me comes in at 5. You know, they both basically made about the same amount last weekend. And Jackass Forever has been out an extra week. Mm -hmm. So I'll go with marry me number five but i'm not feeling good about that and but i think the top four feel pretty much like a slam doink Mm -hmm. if uncharted is not number one then it's to me the biggest story in box office of this year like then it is we are talking about what does tom holland do what does mark Wahlberg do maybe biggest of the year so far but not it won't oh, end up being the biggest of the year. No, of the year so far. And and yeah, I'm looking forward to Dog hopefully performing well and I I do think this is the comeback of Channing Tatum because I think Dog possibly will do fine and then like we said Lost City the end of March, that's his big one. That's where he plants the flag again and says, "You all love me and now you could come out and show it." I'm back. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, I'm excited for it. Yeah. I'm going to go see yeah. Dog in the theater. Yeah. It it looks fun. It looks fun. He's just one of those those rare uh movie stars that we still have where you just want to see him do whatever it is he's doing. Mhm. So, hopefully Dog overperforms, but yeah, it's a small movie. It's a chance for him to learn how to direct. And hang out with a dog, so you can't beat that. All right, Pat. So where can they email us? Email us at the Bo Boys Podcast at gmail dot com. Let us know what you're going to be seeing this weekend. Let us know if you watched "Marry Me" in the theaters or on streaming. Let us know what you thought of our huge interview with Stacy Spikes of Movie Pass Two Point And uh, you know, just just get in touch. And of course. Email us at the boboyspodcast at gmail.com, but also give us some five-star reviews on Apple Podcasts and tell your friends and your family about the B.O. Boys. Spread the word. Get the movie knowledge uh, in our country up to new levels. Turn people on to the B.O. Boys podcast. Absolutely. And, Pat, I don't think there's anything left to say except for no. until next time. We'll smell you at the box office. Nailed it.
split. Uh, right, brah. Gonna stop this now.